0: Holy God, you will hold us fast. Precious God, you have called us to follow in the way of your risen Son. You've called us to a life of faithfulness. You've called us to a life of obedience. You've called us to care for those who are our companions. As we get started this morning, we're going to be in John, we're going to be in John the 15th chapter, we're going to to read the first 11 verses, so if you have your copy of scripture with you, I'd ask that you go ahead and turn there, if you don't have a copy with you, grab one of those hard black Bibles in front of you, if you don't have a copy of scripture to call your very own, take that with you today. Even if you have a copy of Scripture to call your very own and you just like that one, take it with you today. Let the Word, very Word of God, be our gift to you today. As we are in John 15, we're reminded that this is part of Jesus' discourse to his disciples at the Last Supper. This is the last night that Jesus is going to be with his disciples, and these are some of the words that he has for them, these words that we find in John 15. Will you stand with me as we read God's word together? I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. I am the vine, and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy in you may, my jo- my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is the Word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, you sent your Son into the world so that we might live through him. You sent your Son into the world so that we may abide in his risen life. You sent your Son into the world so that we may bear the fruit of love for one another. You sent your Son into the world so that we may know the fullness of joy. So God, as we open your word, as we study it this morning, my prayer is so that the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. Maybe seated. You know, one of the ironies of the contemporary age is this we are told over and over and over again that the best thing that we should do is follow our joy. Follow our bliss. Do what makes us happy. You've heard all of these things, right? Just a few years ago, there was a a, a lady from Japan who everybody got super enamored with. Uh, Her name was Marie Kondo. She was telling us all how we could live simplified, clutter-free lives. And and what was her mantra, right? Remember, you, you pick something up and you ask, does this spark joy? And if it doesn't spark joy, you were to throw it out. You were to get rid of it. Well, interestingly, in the years since, Marie Kondo has had three children, and she came out this week and saying, yeah, I've given up on trying to peak clutter-free. Because here's the thing. Her three children have actually brought her real joy, right? And so all that stuff that she had, that she tried to tell us about, Suddenly doesn't mean anything anymore. But, but why was she so in vogue for the 15 seconds that she was? I mean, I think part of it is we were all stuck at home watching Netflix because of COVID. It's the same reason we all know about the Tiger King. None of us would know about it if it hadn't been for COVID. But the other thing is, she was speaking into the the the, the, the age. What sparks joy? As if apart from Christ, any human being could know. What sparks joy? And so the irony of this age is this. We're told over and over and over and over again, what sparks joy? Follow your bliss. Be happy. There's nothing higher than being happy. And yet, we're all miserable. Deaths of despair which means suicides, drug overdoses, and alcohol-related deaths. Deaths of despair are the number one killer of young men in this country. This county is a leader in drug overdoses in the state of North Carolina. We're told over and over and over and over again, do whatever it is that makes you happy, we do it, and we're all miserable. Because apart from Christ, we cannot know what true joy is. We are all miserable because apart from Jesus Christ, his redemption and regeneration of our hearts being washed clean in his blood, apart from that, we cannot know happiness. We can know a facsimile of it. We can know a shadow of it. We can know a cheap knockoff wish version of it. But we cannot know the real thing apart from Jesus Christ. This is what we saw in our reading this morning. That true joy comes from God. Not from anything that we own. Not from anything that we consume. Not from anything that we think. Not from any person that we have in our life. Joy is a gift from God alone. As we work our way through the passage this morning, we're going to see four things. We're going to see four things that lead to joy and happiness. First of all, we have a caretaker. Second of all, we have a call to cleanliness. Third, we have a call to cooperation. And finally, we have a call to consecration. I feel like a real Baptist this morning. My points all alliterate. First, the caretaker. We start in verse 15 with the last of seven I am statements from Jesus in the book of John I am the true vine. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus has uttered the words I am. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus has reminded us that he is God. I am. And here he's saying that he is the true vine. What does it mean when he says he is the true vine? Well, if we're to go back into the Old Testament and we're to look and we're to see who the vine of God is over and over again in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah, we see that the vine is Israel. The nation of Israel. Those who are to carry God's promise into the world. Those who are to be the redemption of the world. Those who are to be the renewers of the world. Israel, the nation of Israel, is called the vine. And now Jesus shows up and he says, I am the true vine. Because Jesus is is what ultimately and finally fulfills the purpose of the nation of Israel. In Jesus, the promise made to Abraham is complete. He is the true vine. Just as he is the true sacrifice and the true high priest, he is the true vine. Christ is the vine, the Son is the vine, and the Father is the gardener. The Father is the caretaker. And as such, it is the Father that removes the part of the vine that is unhealthy. It is the Father who comes in and every branch that does not produce fruit is removed. But then what happens? Even those of us who produce fruit, even those who produce fruit, We're told he prunes. If any of you have ever had a plant that needed to be pruned on a regular basis, you know what happens, right? A plant gets healthier when you cut it back, when you prune it, when you take care of it. Once those those flowers are off the azaleas, what's the best thing that we can do for those azalea bushes? It's to prune it back, right? Because when we prune it back, what happens? It comes out healthier and shapelier and with more blooms on it than it did the previous season if we if we prune so even even the the fruitful branches get pruned see we have a caretaker the vine has a caretaker i think sometimes we think that we're the ones who need to police the boundaries of the church. We're the ones who need to say who's in and who's out. We're the ones who need to decide what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. We think that it's all about us. In fact, we even say the words, this is what? My church. I want you to remove that language from your mouth. It is not your church. This is not your church. You know why? Because you didn't buy this church with your blood. Christ bought this church with his blood. It is Christ's church. It is not ours. We are stewards. We are servants who are called to, to take care of it in his absence. But it does not belong to us. We are not the caretaker. We are not the, the owner. God The father is the caretaker. And I don't know you about brothers and sisters, but that gives me a sense of relief. Because guess what? A burden has just been taken off of my shoulders. I'm not responsible for pruning, I'm not responsible for cutting the dead branches out. I'm not responsible for making sure that everything stays healthy. That's father's responsibility. That's the gardener's responsibility. That bird's been taken off of my shoulders. What, what my job now is is to be a faithful servant in the way that God has called me to be a faithful servant. For me, in this office, it means faithfully preaching his word. It means leading and shepherding and being an under shepherd to this particular congregation. But it's not my responsibility to trim the vine. Thank God. It's not my responsibility. Because here's the thing, you don't want me to... If any of you have ever seen what I can do to an azalea bush, you don't want me being the one who's trimming the the vine. So we have a caretaker. But then we also see that we have a call to cleanliness. Right there in verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. We We are clean. We've been proclaimed clean. Those of us who are believers have been washed Clean. We are made clean. But here is the thing. When you are really dirty and you get in the shower, are you instantly clean? Or is it a process? This is something I had to learn when I was a little person. I couldn't just, like, jump in the shower and get kind of moist and then jump out and be clean, right? Like, I had to wash myself. There had to be a, a process. I think all of us probably adopt a process for for washing ourselves when we're little and we follow it. For whatever reason, I was told by my father the best thing that I could do was start with washing my hair. I am 40 years old, and do you know what the first thing I do when I get in the shower is? I wash my, well, no, first I scream because the water's too cold. Then I wash my hair. I don't know why. There's a process, right? I wash my hair, and then I wash this part, and then I wash, we all do it, and you do it. Think about it sometime. You take a shower the exact same way every time you take a shower. There's a process. There's a process to getting clean. There's a process to cleanliness. And so, yes, God has made us clean, absolutely. And it's only God who can declare us clean. But we still have to participate in that. We have to cleanse our own actions. We have to cleanse what we do outwardly in the world. We do that by walking in the Spirit. When we walk in the Spirit, God cleanses us and cleanses our actions. We also have to cleanse our, our attitudes. Because here's the thing what happens, right? Oftentimes our actions are a reflection of what's an attitude that's inside, right? So if we take care of, of the outside but we don't take care of the inside, what's going to happen? It, it's going to get dirty again on the outside, right? Right? So we've got to cleanse our attitudes. But here's the other thing with an attitude. Not only does it affect what you do, it also can affect how you feel inside, right? Our attitudes can control us. Our attitudes can, can keep us from doing what we need to do. We start on the outside, we cleanse our actions, and and then we move a little inside and we we cleanse our attitude. But finally, we have to be cleansed in our affections. What is it that you want? What is it that you desire? One of the, the tragedies to me of the contemporary church is this. We've told people that all they need is Jesus. And so what they do is they come in and nothing changes inside. And just instead of asking the universe... For the big fancy car, they start asking God for the big fancy car. Their affections haven't changed. Their affections are the same. The things that they want, the things that they desire, don't change. Just instead of going to the Coke machine, they go to the Pepsi machine. We need new affections. And as much as our old affections are still with us, our old affections are a sign of places in our hearts that have not yet been regenerated. Not yet been cleansed. So if we cleanse our affections, if we're cleansed and changed in what we desire, then our attitudes will be cleansed and our actions will be cleansed. So we see that we have a caretaker. We see that we have a call to cleanliness. And then in verses 4, 5, and 6, we see that we're we're called to cooperate, to be a part of this thing with God. Verse 6 says this, If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. See, we're to have fellowship with Christ. If we think back to to Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, he says, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of God, but only those who do the will of my Father. And on that day, there will be people, and they will say, didn't we do this in your name, and didn't we do this in your name, and didn't we do this in your name? And my response to them will be, I do not, what? Know you. We're called to be in relationship in fellowship with Christ, to be in Him. Not just to to say that He's great. Not just to lift His name up. Not just to, to say, Lord, Lord. Scripture tells us that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Not just those who are in relationship with Christ. Scripture tells us that even the demons know that Jesus is Lord. Saying that Jesus is Lord, brothers and sisters, is not enough. You must be in relationship, in fellowship with him. You must abide in him. You have to depend on him. This is what we see here right those who are cut off wither those who are separated from Christ die the camellias have been blooming if you go home and decide that your camellia is done blooming and it's time to prune them and you cut a branch off of your camellia tree and you just let it sit there and rest on the ground what will happen to it it will wither And it will die. Because if we are not connected to the true source of life, we will die. Without God, we are nothing. Without God, without connection to Him, without relationship with Him, without abiding in Him, we are cut off from the source of life. We will wither and we will die. And it doesn't matter how much we look like life on the outside. It doesn't matter how much we smile. It doesn't matter how many inches we lift our truck. It doesn't matter how many vacations we take. It doesn't matter how many beers we drink. It doesn't matter what we do on the outside that might look like life. If we are cut off from God, inside we are But here's the thing. Apart from him, we are nothing. But with him, with him, we can do anything. We can do all things through God, through Christ, who gives me strength. And when we are dead, when we do not depend on God, we are headed for destruction. We are headed toward a life, toward a fate of being cast aside and burned. So we saw Jesus say a few, a couple of weeks ago in the Gospel of Luke, repent or perish. Those are our options. Repent or perish. So we see that we have a caretaker, we see that we are called to cleanliness, we are see that we are called to cooperation. We, we are to be part of this relationship with God. And finally we see that we are called to consecration. Yes, we must remain in Jesus, and His word must remain in us. And the way that we do that, brothers and sisters, is through prayer. the way we remain in Jesus, the way we know him. How do you get to know somebody? You talk to them. You spend time with them. You converse with them. Sometimes when they meet you for the first time, they think you are a loud, boorish jerk. And then she got to know me and she found out that I am loud and I am perhaps boorish, but I'm not a jerk most of the time, some of the time. Every now and then, I'm not a jerk. But we we got to know each other because we we conversed with each other. We got to know each other because I saw this thing that she did, and I was interested in it, and I asked her about it. She started her tour of the Governor's Palace in Williamsburg, Virginia, with a Mel Brooks joke. It can't get much better than that, guys. But we got to know each other, and we spent time with each other. The way we get to know God, the way we have a relationship with him, the way we are in fellowship with him, is by spending time with him in prayer and in the study of his word, and by praying scripture back to him. got to be consecrated in our lives we must pray but then we get to verse 8 my father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples the westminster shorter catechism starts with this question and answer what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever. All of this, everything, go outside, everything that you see that was made by God was made to proclaim his glory. All of this is about his glory. It's not about you, it's not about me. You know, sometimes we can do this thing, oh, God made the earth for us. No, he didn't. He made it for his glory. He put us in it for his glory. He saves us for his glory. He raises us up for his glory. He sanctifies us for his glory. And one day he will glorify us for his glory. If we are to enjoy God and we are to glorify God, how do we do that? Right here. Jesus tells us. We glorify God by being branches of the true vine that produce good fruit. That that is what the glory of God looks like in our lives. This evening, if you watch the game, at some point you will see a receiver or a running back take the ball cross the plane, score a touchdown, and then what will they do? They'll, they'll point, right? They'll, they'll point to the sky. And some of them will tell you, "Oh, I'm doing that to give glory to God, and, and perhaps they are, but I am more concerned. Jesus is more concerned. God is more concerned not about a finger pointed to the sky. He's more concerned about the fruit in their lives. Is the fruit in their life glorify does the fruit in our lives bring glory to God? And so we see that we have a caretaker. We see that we're called to cleanliness. We see that we're called to cooperation. We see that we're called to consecration. And as we bring these things together, what we see is that these things come together and allow us to remain in the love of Christ. that because the Father loved him, he was able to love us, and we are able to remain in his love. And then, and only then, do we get to joy. Then, and only then, do we get to a joy that is to say. It's that last word in verse 11. Complete. Not a partial joy, not a halfway joy, but complete joy. A complete joy that we get not when we're trying to do things our way, but when we stop doing things our way and start doing them His way. Brothers and sisters, we want to see an end to the deaths of despair in our community and in our country. This is the answer repentance, forgiveness, renewal, salvation. That is the road to joy. That is what we will do when we decide that we're going to stop doing it our way and do it His. My prayer is this. My prayer to this day is that those young people in will Wilmore know this. Live this out. and affect all of the other young people in this country. They've done it before, they can do it again. And my prayer for us is this. We wanna see Fairmont change. Do you wanna see your children and grandchildren grow up in a community and in a world for the number one cause of young men is something other than despair. Then you have no choice than to preach Christ and Him crucified. That's the answer. The answer isn't a social policy the answer isn't a politician. The answer isn't a government program. The answer isn't a new food pantry. The answer is none of those things. And some of those things might be good. Some of those things might be bad. The answer is Jesus. The answer is the gospel. And only through Christ will joy bloom again in our hearts. That is the foundation of Upon which we must stand. Our hymn of invitation is hymn number 338 How Firm a Foundation. Brothers and sisters, this is